Good morning. Good morning. Um, just so you are aware, I am. Uh, I don't eat before before I speak. Uh, but we are in the process of moving, and I was exhausted this morning. So when I saw the cookies back there, I needed the sugar. So either I'm going to crash really hard, or I'm going to get on a nice sugar high, and. Uh, be talking really, really fast. So I will try to uh, keep it calm until, until then. Um, but it is great to be with you. It is great to be uh, with you. Uh, I don't know if any of you heard uh, strange sounds at night, cracking at night like they're fireworks. My dog loves it, just loves it. Will not go to the bathroom, like goes outside and they're out there. But what? Why do we, why, why are the fireworks going off? Fourth of July. Okay, that's part of the answer. Fourth of July. What, what's Fourth of July? Independence Day. Independence Day from what? What? From Britain. Why Britain? I love Yes, colonies. I, I like it. Didn't know you were coming to history class. No, but we are celebrating freedom. The grand, we're able to worship here. There is blessings that we are able to worship Jesus, God, freely here. And so that's why we celebrate it. And I think sometimes when you look back at history, it can just become a word. Oh, it's Independence Day. It's what, well, why is that? And there's always more nuance and there's much more engagement into when you actually understand what it is. And hopefully that's what we'll be able to go through today. But I am very thankful that I get to speak about Jesus today. And, uh, and hopefully it will be an amazing time to just uh, to talk about him together. There's a couple things. I do reviews. So we first started with a huge overview of the relationship, and then we went into God loving us, and then us loving God, the big theological issue. I, I, I knocked that out in two weeks. <laughs> no, no the, the big theological issue of that. And then last week we did part one. Uh, today you get the sequel of knowing God. So knowing God. Okay, without looking at your notes, without looking at your notes, what was point number one from last week? Anyone? Don't, don't just read the Bible, study the Bible. I will give you a passing grade. <laughs> That's awesome. Okay, so we, we're not just reading the Bible, we are studying it trying to understand it and implement it into your life. And so that was point number one last week. Okay, point number two. I know some of you looked down and cheated, so. There you go. So anyone guess? Silence. Yes, silent prayers. Be quiet. Be with God. Wait. Be silent in your prayers. No, those are good. I, the reason why I wanted to review that, because I think it leads into what we talk about today. But what's also great about this is we have been able to, I'm super excited about studying the, the scripture a little bit more with, uh, with everyone. And we've been just 
talking with uh, leadership about the process of how do we implement that in our daily rhythms, but also in our weekly rhythms, in our uh, rhythms at the church and outside of the church, and living it out, and also be in prayer. So I am super excited. So if you want to continue to pray about how we move forward in these kind of areas, I would love prayer in those kind of areas. But today, today we get to talk about the big one. Point number three is know Jesus. Before we begin, let's pray. Dear Father, I thank you so much for the opportunity to spend time in the Word and be able to enjoy it with you and be able to just realize how much I need you and who you are, King of kings, Lord of lords. May your Word be taught today. May we be able to have our hearts open to you. May it be less of me and all of you. In Jesus' name, amen. Where do you begin? Knowing Jesus. It's how do you know Jesus? Well, let's, let's get some things straight out. He was born of a virgin Mary. He did many signs and wonders. He completed and fulfilled unfathomable prophecies, lived a holy, perfect life, laid down his life for sinners, us. He took the substitutionary death, death on a cross, once again, for us sinners, rose again, conquered death, conquered physical and spiritual realms, shown himself to hundreds, ascended, and now sits at the right hand of God. Jesus is the Savior of the world, and he was sent so that we might know God. What an awesome God we serve. Like, I think sometimes we don't grasp all of who Jesus is. Sometimes we see him as, oh, he's, he did this death for us. He rose again. I'm putting in. What, what does that really look like and why does it matter is what we're going to talk about today. Before we begin to, into that, I do, I love this saying. I love this saying. Uh, I'm not really great with sayings, but I sort of like it is no God or no Jesus, no God. No Jesus, no God. Yes, it's spelled differently. K-N-O-W, K-N-O-W, and then know Jesus, know God. It's like, if you know Jesus, you know God. If you don't have Jesus, you don't have God. I think that's one thing, and I really have seen it in the youth culture. I come from a youth background. They have, everyone has their way to God. They have it. Jesus is just another avenue. Jesus is just like, and if we are blind to this, then we're not really seeing the enemy. Because I'll tell you, the enemy knows us. We have to know the enemy. And the enemy is saying, like, oh, Jesus is a part about it. That's why a lot of times you'll even say, Jesus is my homeboy. Peace. Like, people won't always, like, you'll have some people that go really against it. But most of the time, it's just like, ah, oh, Jesus is just part. Just like Buddha. Just like Muhammad. Just like, it's whatever. That's not what Jesus says. <laughs> that, like if you read scripture, that is not who Jesus is and not what he is about. 
So we're going to start, we're going to go to John 14. So if you could turn to John 14, we're going to actually dive a little bit more in there. And we're going to get to this verse, so you can leave that verse up. But as I was reading it, I just couldn't stop reading John 14. It's very beautiful. It's basically Jesus saying that he is the way to God and what he says about this. So why am I trying to recreate the wheel when Jesus actually explains it so well here? So we're actually going to dig in and we're going to read. Uh, we'll start in verse 1 and we're going to just start reading John 14. And I want you to listen to his words. Let it wash over you. Let, let him experience it. It will not all be up on here. So you'll have to either listen or read it through your Bibles. But let's start with verse 1. I'm reading from the NIV. It says, Do not let your hearts be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. This is Jesus talking. My Father's house has many rooms. If that were not so, would I have told you that I am going there to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come back and take you to be with me that you also may be where I am. You know that the way to the place where I, uh, where I am going. Thomas said to him, Lord, we, do, we don't know where you are going. So how can we know the way? Jesus answered, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. If you really know me, you will know my Father as well. From now on, you do know him and have seen him. Philip said, Lord, show us the Father, and that will be enough for us. Jesus answered, Don't you know me, Philip, even after I have been among you for such a long time? Anyone who has seen me has seen the Father. How can you say, show us the Father? Don't you believe that I am in the Father and the Father is in me? The words I say to you, I do not speak on my own authority. Rather, it is the Father living in me who is doing this work. Believe me when I say that I am in the Father and the Father is in me. Or at least believe on the evidence of the works themselves. Very truly, I tell you, whoever believes in me will do the works I have been doing. And they will do even greater things than these because I am going to the Father, and I will do whatever you ask in my name, so that the Father may be glorified in the Son. You may ask me for anything in my name, and I will do it. If you love me, keep my commands, and I will ask the Father, and he will give you another advocate to help you and be with you forever, the Spirit of truth. The world cannot accept him because it neither sees him nor knows him, but you know him, for he lives with you and will be with you. I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. Before long, the world will not see me anymore, but you will see me because I live. You also will live. On that day, you will realize that I am in my father and you are in me and I in you. Whoever has, my, whoever has my commands and keeps them is the one who loves me. The one who loves me will be loved by my Father, and I too will love them and show 
myself to them. We'll stop there. We're going, and this is where I'm going. I'm going to the end right now. We're going to basically where Jesus is death. We're going to go to the importance of the veil and what, what Jesus is at the high priest. But I, we can't get there unless we know who Jesus says he is and what he says he is. Like, the death happens. To let you know, at some point, there were 500 people a day being crucified at some points in history. Like, cruci- crucified. Like, death. There was, so death had happened, but what Jesus does is he just doesn't die, he rises again. But we also have this amazing aspect of his life and what it means to be in the Father. And he explains it so well right here. It's not John's words. It's what the Bible's saying right here. He's saying, no one can get to the Father except through me. If you love me, obey my commands. And I love it because it also shows the apostles, the disciples, the disciples not fully locked in yet to who Jesus is. They don't all get it. We, a lot of times, like to look back into history and be like, why didn't they get it? Like, I would have got it. I would have been locked up. I would have ran when uh, Jesus died on the cross. Like, no. We would have been questioning, like, right now why do you have to die like there's so many questions so i want to encourage you if you have questions it's a good thing it's good to struggle with it it's good to wrestle with it so we have to know what jesus says about who we are and what we are We're going to watch this video. It's from the Bible Project, and it sort of leads now to a nice overview of the priest and high priest of what's going on. I want you to pay attention to parts of the veil. It's a quick little video. It's about five minutes, but, and then we'll get up here, and I will sort of wrap it up uh, with, uh, with watching this. But if you guys could play it, let's go. We've been exploring the theme of the royal priest in the Bible. We started by looking at Adam and Eve, who were called to represent God and rule over creation as his image. Ruling and representing God, this is the ideal role of a royal priest. But tragically, they're deceived by a creature, they abandon their calling, and so humans are exiled from Eden and fill the world with violence. But all is not lost. God promises that one of their descendants will come to intervene on their behalf and restore the blessings of Eden. A new priest, to restore the failed priests. He's going to strike that deceiver while being struck by it. He's like a royal priest who becomes a sacrifice. Now through Israel's story, God raises up many people who could have been this royal priest, like Abraham, Moses, and David. And they all fail, but their stories point forward, anticipating the ultimate royal priest. And this brings us to Jesus. Now, in the time of Jesus, the people of Israel were ruled by the Roman Empire, but they were governed by their own priests, including the high priest who worked in the Jerusalem temple. The high priest was the only one who could enter the most holy space. 
and it was separated by a thick curtain embroidered with images of cherubim. And the high priest at this time was a man named Caiaphas. He is the one who currently represents the people before God, but then Jesus came onto the scene. And when we're introduced to Jesus, he's outside of Jerusalem at the Jordan River getting baptized. The skies open up and God says, you are my son whom I love, with you I am very pleased. Now, these words blend together three statements from the Hebrew scriptures that are all about the coming royal priest, who will be the king that God promised to raise up from the line of David, and also the beloved son, like Isaac was to Abraham. And he's the suffering royal servant of Isaiah who dies for the sins of his people. This baptism is like his ordination as a royal priest. Right. And so it's no surprise that afterwards Jesus starts going around acting like a priest. Oh, right. Like forgiving people of their sins or restoring people who were impure so they could enter the temple. These are the things that the priests who work in the Jerusalem temple were supposed to be doing. But Jesus is doing it outside their authority. And so they start to see him as a threat. And so this leads to a story where Jesus goes up with some friends to a high mountain and there he's transformed. He starts shining and all of his clothes become pure white. This is like the vision Moses had of the ideal high priest. Yeah, exactly. Jesus is here being revealed as the ultimate royal priest. And it's here that Jesus decides that he's going to Jerusalem, even though he knows that he'll get killed. And so later, when Jesus rides into Jerusalem, he challenges the authority of the current priesthood who are running things in the temple. Like when he storms in and disrupts the sale of animal sacrifices. Yeah, this is his way of showing he's the priest in charge. And then later he's asked, who do you think you are? And so Jesus responds by quoting from Psalm 110 in Israel's scriptures. This is the psalm where King David speaks of someone that he calls his Lord, someone greater than him who will rule as a royal priest. Jesus is claiming that he is that priest. This makes the priests in Jerusalem angry. So they have Jesus arrested and they put him on trial before Caiaphas, the high priest, who asks Jesus, are you the anointed one? And what he means is, are you the royal priest? Because right now that's my job. And Jesus responds once more by quoting Psalm 110, saying, I am, and you are going to see me ruling at God's right hand. But actually, we're about to see Jesus get killed. How is that ruling as a high priest? Well, remember from Israel's scriptures, the pattern of the royal priest who surrenders himself as a sacrifice, Jesus is saying that offering his life for others is the way that he's going to ascend his royal throne. When Jesus died, the curtain in the temple tore in two. And God's own life presence, the blessings of Eden that were once guarded and separate, now they can flow out of the temple to fill all of creation. And when Jesus comes alive from the dead, he appears to his followers and commissions them to go out to the nations. So that they can share the good news that Jesus is the ruling king and priest who's going to restore the blessings of Eden. This is why the apostle Paul called Jesus the new Adam. He's inviting us back into Eden to become like him. So that we can take up our lost calling of being God's royal priests. Yes, and that new royal priesthood that's made up of the followers of Jesus that's what we're going to explore next. 
Um, so with that video, we're going to take a little bit is that the second point is that Jesus is the high priest. And we need to recognize that and know that. When you dig into Jesus is the high priest and, and the veil, let's take a look that the temple, the temple in um, Jerusalem at that point is the center of all Jewish religious life. Okay, That is where all the sacrifices, where all the laws of Moses that were followed and, and everything that was done at the center, that is the 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 place where everything's taken care of. And Hebrews 9, 1 through 9 talks about, tells us that in that temple, there was a veil that separated the Holy of Holies, the earliest dwelling place of God's presence from the rest of the temple where, ma, uh, where man ha, had dwelt. And the reason that there was this veil there was because of man's sin. But there was one. There's one person that could go in once a year, and that was the high priest that they just talked about. Now, what's unique is that this veil was, and by estimates, 60 feet tall. Okay? So that is six basketball hoops up. So it's, it is not a small thing. You're not jumping over it. All right? It is wide, and they say that the curtain, now this is an estimate as well, but they say that it was about four inches thick, okay? So this is not like one piece of cloth, T-shirt. This is like, like the old phone books, like a couple of them put together. So this is, this is thick. There's a separation. There's a difference. So the high priest could go in once a year to make atonement for all Israel, to for Israel, they could go in once a year. It's very important. So, we talked about a little bit of Jesus' life, how he lived, what he was about getting to the Father. Now we're talking about his death. So when he was on the cross, he died. We all agree with that. Then the veil gets torn into two. Gets torn, gets ripped. There is significance to that. And it's, it's the significance of why, why is this significance? It signified that now the way into the holies of holies to know God was open for all people and all time, both Jews, Gentiles, and to all people was now going through Jesus. Jesus is now, it's signified as the veil. He is the one that gets you to the Father. No longer is it through the high priest. The separation has now been taken care of. In a sense, the veil was symbolic of Christ himself as the only way to the Father. Christ is our superior high priest. We can now enter the Holy of Holies through him. As Hebrews 10, 19 says, we have confidence to enter the most holy place by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way open for us through the curtain that is his body. The profound significance of the tearing of the veil is explained so many times through, through Hebrews that, that they, the ultimate point is that Jesus Christ 
is the veil and that we now through his death and resurrection have ultimate freedom and access to God. I want to tell you a story. The story is, I think, a little bit of how do we live this out? Because I think a lot of us know Jesus. Like, that's why we're here. We, we know Jesus. We want to love him and we want to love our community. I want to tell you, I want to tell you this a little, little analogy of a story. My grandma makes the best cheesecake in the world, hands down. Hands down. And it's not the cream cheese kind of, it was more of a gelatin kind, but very good graham crackers on the bottom, on top, very, the best, the best. So when I was growing up, every Sunday was the same. Every Sunday, church, go over to my grandparents because we're going to eat lunch there as a family, and then we'll probably relax, and then we have church that night. But every time we'd walk into, walk into the, my grandma's place, we walk in, I go to the fridge and open it up because there was one thing I always knew, there was dessert. If you're a Midwest boy, you're dessert, you're a Midwest girl, you know we do it right. I, I married an Italian, they don't do desserts quite as well, but they do great pasta. So uh, I'm okay. Uh, so as I would open it up, my favorite, my favorite of all time is apple pie a la mode. So if any of you uh, have extra, <laughs> hook me up. But, my, but every time, the, the cheesecake was the best. It was the best. So every time I would open it up, and if I saw it, it's one of those like, yes. Like you knew it. You had it. Like you knew what it was when you saw it. You saw the cheesecake and you knew what it was. But I also had a couple of brothers that were my enemies because if they got some, that meant less for me. They opened it and they would see it too. They knew what it was. They knew it was my grandma's cheesecake. You don't, here's the problem. My grandma's not around anymore. I don't get that cheesecake anymore. I get people that have come close. My mom's been the closest. I love you, mom, but it's not the same. It's not the same cheesecake. It resembles it. It's close to it, but it's not quite it. Why is it? Because when I see it, it looks exactly the same. When it's in the fridge at my mom's place, it is the exact same. I can see it. You need to taste it. None of you will get to experience it because you don't get to taste it. Now think about your favorite meal. Think about it if you've never got to taste it. Now I'm going to relate this, and you know where I'm going. Have you tasted Jesus? Have you experienced Jesus? Because a lot of us at this moment love opening the fridge and being like, Jesus is right there, I know where he's at, and then we shut the fridge and we keep on living our own lives. Maybe the reason why we don't get to share it as much is because we're not tasting it. We're not eating it. The reason why I talked about my brothers as being the enemy is because even Satan and the demons know 
that's cheesecake and he's in charge. I'm not trying to relate, but they know it's Jesus. Right? Are you experiencing it? How have you experienced Jesus in your life? If I could ask you right now, what would you say? That was, a, that was hard because when I ask you something, I have to ask myself something. I was sitting Wednesday night realizing that there is nothing I could do to earn my salvation. There's nothing. Nothing. And that's hard as a human because I want to think I have control of stuff. And realizing there is nothing, no amount of good I can do. It is in his hands. But I remember experiencing Jesus, God, the Holy Spirit. I remember experiencing them when I had to preach at a funeral of two kids and not being able to do it and begging God to show up and able to speak. And I was able to be there. I was there when my, I got to experience God when I saw Jacelyn take her first breath and knew it was something bigger than I was at that moment. I got to experience something better at the baptism of my wife. I got to experience God through reading of the scripture. Singing, come to the altar, just have a couple moments knowing that it, I, it's all on him. Are you experiencing it or do you just know it? Is Jesus the high priest of your life? Because he's the only way to get to the Father. If you want to know God, you got to know Jesus. I love it because we talk about it all the time. They're equal. God, Son, and the Holy Spirit, they're equal, but they have different. Like, it's this unique relationship. It's amazing, and I love it. But my question is, are you experiencing it? Where are you experiencing it in your life? Some of you are still just fine with leaving it in the fridge. It's part of your life. It's part of who you are, but it's not all who you are. It's not the number one thing. Jesus isn't the high priest. He's just there. I'm saying we, as believers, need to put Jesus and we need to pull it out and share it with others. If you don't think for a second that if my grandma's cheesecake was here and I was not going around to you being like, try it, try it. This is the best. You need to try it. Why aren't we doing that? If we know Jesus is who we are and what he's done for us, why are we not? I challenge that for you today. I... I, I Asked myself, should I do this today? But God answered when we did the song, Come to the Altar. It's like, I'm going to give you an opportunity here in a minute to reorganize where Jesus is in your life. If he's number one, awesome. Awesome. And we want to come around and support you. If he has fallen back, if he's not on the top of the list, you need to ask yourself why. And how do we put him back at number one? Because when you're the high priest, you are now entering the holy of holies. When you find Jesus, he's now taking you to a place you can't get on your, on your own. You can't do it by yourself. 
And I think that's so much of what American Christianity has done. Like, no, you can do it. You give enough to the poor. That's good enough. That's a checklist. You know, you, you go help out, clean up your neighbor's yard. Checklist. Those are all good things. <laughs> they don't get you to the Holy of Holies. They don't get you to the Holy of Holies. So let's not forget our first love. Let's not forget it. Will you stand with me? The worship team, you guys can get up. We're not. In a second here, I'm gonna, we're going to pray. And the reason why I'm having you stand is because at one point I'm going to have you just raise your hand. If you want Jesus in charge of everything, everything, I want you to be, to put your hand up. If you've, I'm also giving you the opportunity. I know some of you have been with Jesus for 50, 60 years. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. It's running the long race. Is he still a high priest in your life, or have we put something else there? That is the continual challenge as we live this out, to know God. It's not one time. It's an everyday process of putting God where he is, ruler of all. Lord of all, he does not take second place. I'll tell you that much. I know that. Everyone, let's pray. If you all just put your heads down, let's pray together. God, thank you so much for who you are, what you are. You are the Lord of lords, King of kings, high priest over all. And you are God above all. And I thank you so much. And I, I apologize when I put other things in front of you. And I know there's a bunch of people here that have walked alongside you for, for some time. But right now, maybe they feel that they're weak. Maybe they feel that they, they aren't hearing from you. Maybe they have bitterness towards you. Or something is going on in their life and that has replaced you. And only, here's what's unique, is I don't know what it is. Their neighbor doesn't know what it is. It's only you and them and their heart together. May they be able to, to know and know that they need to put you back at first. And I'm going to challenge you right now. If you feel that way, that God hasn't been in front of your life, and you want to put God first, I'm going to ask you right now to just raise your hand. Eyes closed, but raise your hand. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Okay, you can put your hands down. I want to also ask, if you have never, if you have never put God first in your life, maybe you've been to church a lot, but maybe right now is an opportunity to say, I am giving my life to God for the first time. And if there's no one, that's fine, but I cannot go away without asking. If there's anyone here, I ask you to be bold, and, and who cares? No one else is watching except me. I ask you to put your hand up right now. Thank you. Anyone else? Okay. With eyes still closed, if you raised your hand today, I'm going to ask you that at some point, I'm going to be out there that you talk to me. And we will set up a time to start putting Jesus back first. And you can do that right now as we pray together.
It's not something you do, but it's now, it's the, the step of the relationship of Jesus back first in your life and seeing and handling things the way he would want it. And that's the process. So let's pray together. We are then going to have the music go together, and then I will come up and we'll wrap up. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, I thank you for the hearts that long for you, that want to put you first in their life, in their families' lives, and, and live for you. No promises of wealth or riches, no promises of anything, health, safety. We just want to put you first in our lives so that you dictate everything and control everything. And we can do that because we trust you because we know you love us. I thank you for the hands that were raised, and I, I challenge them right now to not just walk out of here after this, but to actually, during worship, give you everything and love you. In Jesus' name, amen.